We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. As I'm right, I'm looking through my... Notes of the film, and especially, obviously, with the first, what, 30 minutes or so, I'm like, hard to watch, hard to watch, hard to watch. I mean, like, you're really, like, you know, triggering and bringing up all the feelings. Did you want it to be so painful and, like, harrowing and, like, just hard? It's just... Yes, I mean, slavery... So, here's the thing. I mean, as a Black person, um, I've never been comfortable with Black uh, slave narratives, um, they've always been incredibly uncomfortable for me to watch, and many of them I skip over entirely. It had been, to a certain extent, to my detriment. I realized that a part of the problem is Black folk serving as co-conspirators in the erasure of the original sin of this country and our not confronting it. Antebellum is a new, powerful, triggering movie starring Janelle Monet as a woman trapped in a slavery, real-life nightmare. I watched it twice in a row because there's an interesting conceit that you have to watch to understand the whole thing. But part of me was like, wow, this is really hard to watch. And part of me was like, wow, this is really compelling. And when you get to the end, you're like cheering, like, yes, girl. But it's a long emotional journey. But shouldn't a film about slavery be a long, difficult, emotional journey? But shouldn't we ask filmmakers, why are you asking us to make a long emotional journey through slavery because it's very triggering and difficult. And why are you using that at all? I put all of that and more to the directors of Antebellum, Gerard Bush and Chris Renz. They are a couple. They are co-directors. They worked on this film for years. They got Janelle Monet to do it. It is something you should see. And I imagine it's going to be something that some people are going to like. And some people are going to hate, but you should see it before you hate on it, like some people have done with other slavery pictures recently. Don't reject it just because it's about slavery, even though, trust me, I know that is a painful road to walk down and not necessarily what all of us want to look at when we choose to watch a movie. But this is a powerful movie. Janelle Monet is an incredible actor. I want you to see this and tweet at me and tell me what you think about it. 
You'll get half of this conversation here. You'll get half of it on Patreon at patreon.com slash show. Let's go. It's Gerard Bush and Chris Renz, the directors of Janelle Monet's Antebellum on Torre Show. I watched the film twice because it was compelling and I kind of had to like see it a second time after I've seen the twist and all that sort of good stuff. Um, So a lot to talk about. Why this film now? Well, you know, we'd like to say that it was, it was strategic, but it, but it wasn't about uh, six months into our move to LA from Miami. um, I had this horrific nightmare that I think was probably precipitated by the death of my father a little bit less than a year prior um, that I was having some problems processing. And in this nightmare, this woman who was Eden um, was so desperate for help that it felt as though she was screaming across dimensions to reach anybody. And when I, when I awoke from the nightmare, um, it didn't feel like anything that I had experienced before. I, it was within the, the brand and category of what would be called a dream or a nightmare, but it definitely felt like something otherworldly or like an ancestral visitation. And uh, the next day, Christopher and I talked about it and ended up writing the short story because that's our process. Um, and then after writing the short story, we wrote the script that is now uh, Antebellum. So, you know, for us, as a part of, of the work that we've done leading up to this moment, we've always felt like all of the work that we were presenting or that we were trying to present, uh, that there was an urgency of now uh, and that that um, the world and America has been... Um, careening toward disaster Mm -hmm. Uh, and so um yeah i mean we we never imagined in a million years that that anything that we would create would be just for entertainment's sake but that it is it is art um to activate and to catalyze a national dialogue around a host of issues not the least of which is race in america um but without finger wagging Mm -hmm. Um, you guys are co-directors, right? And that's unusual to my experience. And the last pair of co-directors I remember were the Hughes brothers, where there was a clear delineation of like, I do this sort of stuff. I do this sort of stuff. Is there a division of labor or are you guys kind of like one group? We pretty much, you know, uh, act as one, uh, on set. We're always together in the same space, which is super important because, Otherwise, you know, a production designer or a costume designer, someone will come up to one of us and ask a question. We have to kind of be central in the same place. But what what helps us as a directing duo is that we're also a writing duo so that we kind of are able to have all of those knockdown, drag out uh, battles on the creative in our own home as we're writing so that by the time we get on set, we really have one vision and we're, we're super aligned. I mean, within the duo, 
is there a division? Is there, I'm a little bit more this, I'm a little bit more that? I think, uh, I mean, we've been together for 12 years. Um, and so we speak a, a telepathic shorthand. <laughs> and I don't know that we could be objective in saying that one is a little bit more this or that. I think, I think an outside observer would have to give you that answer. I think as far as we're concerned, um, we are, we are, it's a, it's kismet and we're, we're, we're certainly sort of connected on, on levels that don't feel probably normal for most writer director duos. We're also a couple. So it's like, everything is really, um, unified. Yeah. All right. So walking into the discussion of the film, um, it starts with a sort of epic long tracking shot, right? Where we're sort of like winding through, uh, the plantation scene and it's sort of like getting worse and worse as we go through and like, you know, wow. Oh, this is bad. Oh, this is really bad. Oh no. no. And, you know, then we get to like this epic moment of violence. We're like, Oh, this is really, really bad for these people. Um, talk about making that tracking shot. Why you start with that one thing. And just what is the power of putting like one long unbroken eye on that scene? Well, f- well, first, it was really important to us that we book in the movie with um, starting the movie at dusk at the gloaming and concluding the movie at the dawn of a new day. So we were also really obsessed with correcting the record of the propaganda of Gone with the Wind. So we obtained the lenses from Gone with the Wind and recalibrated them to our cameras and shot um, much of the plantation scenes on the Gone with the Wind lenses. Oh, wow. Um, is that the first five seconds of that five-minute wonder is kind of how it was shown uh, with Gone with the Wind. And then, like you said, we go back and show, you know, what really happened, what that, what it was. We wanted to, we wanted more to, more accurate. We wanted to draw people in from the idyllic facade into the horror that was, American slavery. Um, and at the same time, uh, it was important to us that we completely intoxicate and immerse the audience in the environment of antebellum within the first eight minutes of the film. That before antebellum even comes across the screen, that people are strapping in and saying, well, wait a minute. And there's something with, with, there's a sort of, something with women or a focus of women in that, right? Cause I think the first thing you see is the little girl, right? Mm-hmm. And then it sort of heightens the men seem to be a little de-emphasized, you know, the women sort of slaves sort of like standing to attention and then leading into the woman who ends up getting, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but basically, basically lynched right before our eyes. Um, and then concluding on Janelle, uh, so is, was that purposeful to sort of like have like the experience of women be sort of central throughout that scene like that? I mean, we, some people might not know this about us, but we've, we've contributed, um, to, I mean, I was a, a creative director, contributor for uh, Vogue Brazil. Like we've, we've really, we have an eye for fashion and we wanted to create something that, 
aesthetically um, was uncomfortably beautiful. And that on a subconscious level may have been why um, there was, there was a focus of that profile as we're going through, but we wanted the audience to feel like, well, this isn't drab slave kissy, you know, this is something that feels sort of uncomfortably beautiful. And I, I, I shouldn't even be feeling this way. Um, and, and we wanted to, uh, demonstrate that oftentimes horror and beauty live simultaneously in the same space at the same time. Um, and that is a, a theme throughout the film. As I'm right, I'm looking through my notes of the film and especially obviously with the first, what, 30 minutes or so, I'm like hard to watch, hard to watch, hard to watch. I mean, like you really like, you know, triggering and bring up all the feelings and like, you know, they're, they're running for their lives. They're getting beat down. They're just submitting, even though they don't want to obviously. And like it, it, did you want it to be so painful and like harrowing and like, just, it's just, yes, it's, I mean, slavery. So here's the thing. I mean, as a black person, um, I've never been comfortable with black uh, slave narratives um, they've always been incredibly uncomfortable for me to watch. And many of them I skip over entirely. And it's been, it had been to a certain extent to my detriment. Um, I realized that a part of the problem is black folk serving as co-conspirators in the erasure of the original sin of this country in our not confronting it. The, the beauty of, of what the beautiful Jewish community, our Jewish brothers and sisters have done in amplifying and highlighting the issues of the Holocaust and not turning away from that. I think that we would be doing a gross disservice to the history of uh, horror that has been levied against black bodies in America if we diluted in any way what that reality was. We're not uh, interested in um, continuing to protect white fragility, and we're also not interested in um, trauma porn. We are only interested in telling the truth and confronting the truth in all of its ugliness. So yes, um, I think that you should be triggered. I'd rather you be triggered uh, by my art in the safety of your home or in a movie theater than for us to continue to live in an open air shooting gallery because we're not confronting the truth about how we really feel about each other and, and the, the, the past that is the foundation of the smoke and mirrors that that is America. I mean, I don't think it's trauma porn, but I think for artists, be it filmmakers or visual artists or whoever, to 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 take us into the horrors of slavery, there has to be a real payoff for the audience. Like, why are you dragging me through this mud and these feelings? Um, do you think that you? give us a payoff that is worthy of how bad and hard people are going to feel through the first part of the movie. 
Uh, we sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that moment um, <clears throat> that, that seems to resonate, you know, before, you know, the world shut down, we were able to test this in some, some theaters, but that, that, that moment at the end where she is this new Statue of Liberty walking away from the burn shed, um, just burning it all down rather than, you know, just turning the other cheek. I mean, cheek. Black people, have, you know, there's always been this expectation that we're to turn the other cheek. And, and for me, I don't have any interest in turning the other cheek. I'm probably more Stokely Carmichael than anything else, but it's, we need to confront it. And, and the catharsis is, you know, the depiction of this, this extraordinary black woman who is a, a wonderful mother and wife and um, a pillar of her community and activist, a voice of, of, of uh, liberation, quality and liberation. And, and by recontextualizing um, this country's original sin, I mean, I think oftentimes what we see in these slave narratives is that we never get the story of, well, this woman was someone's wife. This is someone's mother. What, what was their community like? And by recontextualizing that, I think that we are able to effectively pluck that empathetic cord and build on a new conversation. But in our minds, there is a great catharsis to the movie as a whole. It may take a day or so um, for, for certain viewers to process it. But I think that our ardent hope anyway is that it is a, a, a medicine an ointment, a healing ointment within. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. 
On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare, which I love because they've got all kinds of online classes that can help you learn whatever you want. There's a class on creative writing taught by the great writer Roxanne Gay. Her book, Hunger, was amazing. I'm going to take her class because I really admire her work and I want to learn from her. There's also a class I'm dying to take on how to create engaging short videos for Instagram because I have to start doing better at IG video. Skillshare has classes on everything from creative writing to filmmaking to design to the stock market to web design to just how to be happier. (sighs) That sounds nice. Anything you're curious about can be learned on Skillshare. There's so much you can get better at. And Skillshare has thousands of classes that can help you make yourself a little better. And it's fun to learn. Most of the classes are around 60 minutes, so you can learn a lot fast. Annual subscriptions are less than $10 a month. And Skillshare is giving my listeners a free trial of premium membership. So go to Skillshare.com slash That's Skillshare.com slash And go learn something new. Yo, I've been reading Barack Obama's presidential memoir, A Promised Land. I'm about 500 pages in. I cannot put it down. He goes deep into the policies, the politics, the people that he met with, from Vladimir Putin to Mitch McConnell to Nancy Pelosi to his wife and his kids. His whole presidential world is a part of this book, and I am loving it. And I just can't get enough of this book. I read it every morning. It is a must-read book for those who want to understand what was really happening in the Obama administration with the big ideas he was trying to push forward, with the battles he was having with other politicians, with the way that he was trying to finesse what's going on in Saudi Arabia, China, Russia, the whole globe. This takes you inside the presidency in a way that few presidential books ever had. This is definitely the best presidential memoir I've ever read and a fascinating, inspiring, empowering, insightful book that I highly recommend to everybody. Check out A Promised Land by Barack Obama, available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. Go to obamabook.com slash obamabook.com slash Torrey for more information. Oh, 
I want to tell you about an awesome new book that you have to check out, 400 Souls, a community history of African America from 1619 to 2019, edited by the awesome Dr. Ibram Kendi and Keisha Blaine. It's a number one New York Times bestseller, a book that you will want to get into and luxuriate in and look at with your family. 90 writers, poets, and thinkers came together to make this book possible. It's a unique one-volume community history where a chorus of voices tell the story of the 400-year journey of African Americans from 1619 to the present. With 87 narrators in the audiobook, including Drs. Kennedy and Blaine, Leslie Odom Jr., Denai Gurria from Black Panther, Soledad O'Brien, my homie Keith David, Felicia Rashad, Samira Wiley... Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matter and Angela Davis and Sherilyn Eiffel from the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And of course, the Pulitzer Prize winning 1619 Project creator, Nicole Hannah-Jones. 400 Souls is an awesome, important book, and it's available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. The thrill. I mean, I felt... I, I mean, it, it, like I said, it was really hard to watch the first part. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are, like, killing me. <laughs> but then when uh, when we get to the second part of the film, I felt filled with pride, felt seeing this person, like, live her life with this beautiful family. And she's doing great things in the community. And the way she dresses is really fly. And she's super aspirational. And I feel like I know her. Right. Like she's real. Like I, you know, like I know Angela Rye. I know people like her. And I'm like, yes, okay. You know, and she's so confident, she don't take no shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm 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 taking a breath of fresh air to see like this person on screen. And I and I loved seeing her. Um, so I mean, like that gave me this sense of like, oh, okay, like this I'm happy to be here. I like it here. Um like talk about constructing her modern day. I, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't want to give away too much, but like her modern day sort of life, her, her chosen life. Well, so, you know, I, I, I have grown up uh, enveloped by extraordinary black women who uh, as a result have also enveloped Christopher. So my mother is probably more Dominique Devereaux than Diane Carroll, but like that's her. And my sister is a, a Spelman alum and y- Yomi Abiola is, who's a dear friend and activist who also starred in our, our, our piece for Maxwell. Um, you know, these are, these are, are extraordinary black women whose lives as mothers, wives, um, and, and great pillars of their community um, are not in any way extraordinary. It's, 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 it's commonplace. Right? The Black families that I grew up with, my parents, before my dad died, were together 41 years. Um, and most people that I know from where I come from, it's the same story. But what you see promoted and propagated in terms of, you know, television and movies is not that. So it was crucial to us 
that we show our version of what we see and how we perceive black women and put that on screen. When you were making the picture, especially in the slavery part, was it was it hard for the black actors on on the set? Or was there a way that you shaped the set to like further reflect what you were doing when you were shooting? Uh, well, no, we were insistent upon shooting on an actual plantation. So that in and of itself is a difficulty that you can't um, immunize anyone from. So it, it it's hollow ground and it, and it felt like, um, you know, oftentimes you, you found yourself whispering. What we wouldn't do is disrespect or desecrate the, um, the slaves, the actual cabins of the former, formerly enslaved people. We built replicas on the same path. Um, and that's where we would shoot a lot of our, our scenes. However, we weren't looking for our actors to perform. We were looking for our actors to be possessed by um, the ancestors, to feel that energy and to allow their bodies to be a vehicle to this of this communication. And there were there was overwhelming emotion on set. Tongai, who played Eli, um, sobbed, broke down. Um, after his burn shed scene and really needed significant time to recover from that. Um, we had to allow space for Janelle to remain grounded um, in, in herself while also giving away her. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alameen a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Her, her body to allow possession to take place and to respect um, the history of these people. So, you know, we weren't, we weren't looking to provide um, a safe space away from the truth. 
we were looking to provide an environment that allowed the actors to feel safe with the possession of these people. I mean, I imagine, you know, doing these scenes and having these interactions and the black people are having, you know, their emotional traumas brought out and the white people perhaps are feeling guilty about acting these things out and causing that in their fellow actors. And I wonder how that played out when you stopped shooting or when the day was over. You, This is not a movie where you can just sort of cut and everyone go back to the hotel and like laugh it up at the end of the day. Like this, like, I'm sure this, this stays with you. So how was the interaction between everybody, you know, in between and after the day? Um, I mean, I think it was, it was, there was really no, uh, no time for that. There wouldn't have been time, you know, time for that anyway. I mean, we were shooting, you know, 15, 16, 18 hour days in the middle of the summer in, in Louisiana. And at the end of the day, everyone, you know, it's emotionally exhausting and physically exhausting. And so, you know, it, it kind of worked out well that there wasn't any time for that. You went back collapsed collapsed and just went right back into it the next day um it was really i'm, I'm sure it just overwhelming you know for the actors and i I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure they needed some time after we wrapped to to recover i mean we had we had i i think that we um you know we were sure to engage in some pretty lengthy uh rigorous conversations with cast prior to filming in uh, making sure that, you know, Eric Lang, we were at, at Sunset Tower when, you know, he he cried uh, in talking about feeling a responsibility to take this role as, um, as uncomfortable as he knew it was going to make him. He felt like he needed to do it. Jack Houston felt like he needed to do it. Um, and so I applaud all of our extraordinary cast for setting their discomfort aside and engaging in what we all felt like was God's work. It was something that we needed to do. I mean, you know, getting someone like Janelle Monet for this is really powerful because she's so well known. She has so much integrity as a, as, as a, as a celebrity, like people believe that, she really believes in the projects, the music and the films that she does. Um, you know, people love her and root for her. Um, talk about um, trying to get her, getting her. Well, some of the- it's so funny. We never imagined that we were going to cast a pop star in the lead in our movie. So that was never um, our um, focus. Uh, we actually wanted someone who wasn't such a big name that their name would supersede the character and take you out of the movie. And also um, it just never occurred to us to have Janelle in the movie. It's interesting. Her music we were obsessed with um, her first album, many moons served as the soundtrack for the genesis of our relationship. So Janelle was a very important artist to us as just human beings. And we share an agent uh, at WME who brought Janelle to our attention and her team 
there were quite a few people in town that were vying for that role. Um, and so when they brought Janelle to our attention, then we started to look at her in a different way. But it wasn't until we saw her sitting in the audience um, in 2018 of the Grammys. We have no idea what she was looking at, but she had this expression, this stoic, and I don't mean stoic in a derogatory way. She had a, an expression that gave away nothing, but you could feel and sense it was palpable. The furnace burning deep and bright within her that was just coming up to the surface. And C and I looked at each other and said, that is Veronica Henley. And that, I mean, as you know, in the first act, that's incredibly important for the actress to be able to communicate that um, with just a look. And that's something that, that Janelle is just is fantastic at. So she are, got the job at the Grammys, not even like yeah. trying to get the job. No, she's a, look, this part, I feel like the part, we feel like the part was destined for her. Um, and when you look at it, I, I, I hope that when people see this performance, I've never seen a performance like this um, uh, in recent memory, much less like, you know, Janelle hasn't had her big opportunity to lead a movie. And she led this movie in such a way, I thought that it was, we thought that it was really beautiful. We thought that she brought um, an authenticity, a purity um, to the role that felt like possession. and. She was really careful and thoughtful in her choices. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think that we're, we're all incredibly fortunate that our fates collided. You talked about um, some of the conversations you had with cast about, you know, the, the work that they were doing here. Um, what were some of the conversations you had with her in terms of just getting into the mind space of, of possession of what this film is and needed to be well janelle we had we had a lot of conversations along the way because there was you know she needed to feel safe and we needed to we all needed to trust each other and to trust that we were we were making something you know she didn't have any example of a long feature that we had done prior right so she had to really sign on to this vision without having hard evidence of what that would be. And you can imagine for Janelle, someone who's been so uh, careful and studied in all of their decision-making as it relates to the parts that she's taking, I think she's done an extraordinary job in her choices. And so um, we wanted to make sure as directors and as writers, we only direct what we write, but we wanted to give her the space, the acreage uh, between herself and the material to get into that sweet spot to allow that, that possession um, to, to pulsate and to happen. And so we didn't, you know, although we would spend a lot of time having conversations about history and she would dive into books and we would talk about um, sort of the specifics of the antebellum South, it was even more important that she was able to go with a feeling, with an intuition, rather than um, something that was mechanic. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, she's she's so great 
in this. She shines when she is her true self, her mm. sense of resistance um, in the face of like, we, you know, we, we can only do this much. We can't fight, but so much, like we're going to figure this out how to get out of here at some point. But you know, it, it's, she's, she's so powerful and there's just so much, you know, you just love her so much because it's like, you know, I'm not just a star just because I want everyone to look at me, you know, I mean the whole, you know, black and white, you know, thing that she did for so long because she was trying to remind you and herself of the maids that, you know, she came from it's like, just, she's just been such a powerful person on the national stage for so long. Um, and just such a thoughtful person. Um, so, it, you know, it is exciting to see her take a step up to be the lead role in a big movie. And when she's, um, you know, when she's taking over, let's say at the end, you are like, yes, <laughs> finally I get to exhale, chop some heads off, burn some people like, yes. Um, uh, Forgive me for not remember the 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 white woman who is the main villain in this. Malone. She is great. She mm-hmm. is evil. She fits right into what you asked of her. Um, I mean, is it hard for her for an actor to go into racialized evil like that? I mean. Jenna Malone is such a such a professional. I mean, she really dove in. We had some uh, some reading material early on that we we asked that she read uh, one book called "They Were Her Property," and we explained that uh, we wanted to make sure in this film that we did not um, let white women off the hook. Oh, not at all. Um, and you know, it was, and she ended up being the ultimate villain, the final the final person that she had to defeat. Um, she's like to get out of there. Jenna, you know, Jenna is a she's a voracious reader and preparer. Yes. And when she found out that many of the white male, like the fathers um, in the antebellum South, in order to protect the inheritance that they were passing on to their female children, that was all in the form of slaves, and and they would they would try to inoculate themselves and their fortune from being um, pilfered by someone not of the same stature. And so these enslaved people, this human chattel um, was, was a real currency that, that the, the young women slaveholders were taught by their fathers on how to care for or abuse and traumatize and brutalize on their own um, uh, to keep them in line. And so that is a character that Jenna really leaned into and I think delivered a stunning performance. Yeah, you definitely reminded me how the slaves are probably constantly in a state of trauma. And, you know, when us in 2020 are like, well, I would have just run away. Well, I would have just beat up the people. Like, But you don't remember how you are in deep, trauma about the separation of family the murder of so-and-so your father your lover whatever you know the the beating you just got yesterday or last week that you're still like i don't want to have that happen again i don't want to pick this cotton but i don't want to i can't have that happen again um you know so i mean like 
Yeah, they're constantly just like, I mean, I can't imagine the emotional impact of the constant trauma that they are living through and witnessing all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I, I used to think to myself that, um, well, if it were me, you know, I'd be dead. I, I'd, I'd like to think that that is the truth, but I don't know. Um, I think the, the, the brutality, the trauma of, of um, the psychological dismantling of a human being, um, the, the impact and the ongoing reverberations of that experience, that residue must stay with you 24 hours a day. For more from me and the directors of Antebellum, join us over at patreon.com slash Show. Thanks so much to Bush and Renz for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., and Dr. Kina Murphy. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.